0: Each episode is a unique transmission containing supportive frequencies to facilitate the deepest healing, activation, and reconnection with your soul. I invite you to open your mind and set the intention to receive this episode into your heart space. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Cracked Open, Beautiful Souls. With me today, I have Erin Kiner, who is one of my oldest friends in Bali, one of my first <laughs> friends in Bali, actually. Erin is a dear sister of mine. We actually live together. Well, technically, we live together. I haven't been living there for quite a, <laughs> quite some time as I gallivant around Australia, But uh, Erin and I have such a beautiful, deep sisterhood and connection, and we are definitely soulmates. We trigger the fuck out of each other a lot, (laughs) and have (laughs) yeah, that's the
1: True sisters. sisters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Grown through a lot of our relationship, and I think the thing that I love the most about my relationship with Erin—excuse the cat in the background, guys—it's my sister's cat, who I am minding. He really wants to have himself be heard in this episode. Um, The thing I really love about our relationship is the accountability we've both taken to come together and talk through what's going on and um, rise through our triggers together. Oh, here he is. If you're on the video, you can see him now, the visual representation (laughs) of all that noise. He's like, why are you touching me? Um, And as a result of that, our friendship has been able to bloom and blossom. So one thing i can say about erin um and knowing her and being in her energy and her space is that she's not for the faint-hearted she brings up um a lot of stuff for people and i think it's because she is this pure vessel of love and i actually don't think i know anyone who perceives God in a similar way that I'm, that Erin does, that I do, that didn't make sense. But I think I'm I, what I'm trying to say is coming across Erin's <laughs> connection to God is at the fore of everything that she does. Mm-hmm. For her technical bio, she's a trauma-informed sexuality healer, coach, teacher, and she's liberating others from shame, one orgasm at a time. She's also the host of Romantic Hardcore, a podcast about sex and healing. This woman has a wealth of knowledge about sexuality. I don't know another human being who is more expressed in her sexuality than Erin is. And I'm preparing for this to get real fucking weird. <laughs> we talk about fisting and some things. Okay, <laughs> all right, we'll go there. Yeah. yeah so I'm gonna. I uh, know. I'm kidding. Maybe not fisting, but we're, I'm giving Erin to completely, <laughs> <laughs> completely expand all of your minds um, to the depth and the Um, breadth of sexuality so I'm going to hand it over to Erin to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about how she became this wild unicorn um, doing all this potent work and bringing her magic into the world so Erin take it away baby girl
1: what a great intro and I'm really honored to hear you say those things and I yeah I just want to reflect how sister-like we are and at at the core of everything between us is love absolutely love between us and we've been through so much and we've both grown incredibly during that time. And that's been through uncomfortable ways, through loving, supportive ways. But yeah, we're both very, very committed to this path. And I really respect that in you too. So thank you. So it's a big question to start with. How did Erin Kiner become Erin Kiner? (laughs) Uh, The first time someone told me that they thought I was here to work in the field of sexuality was 20 years ago. And I was so resistant to it. I had a lot of my own sexual trauma, a lot of sexual shame. And honestly, I continue to see more and more layers of sexual shame, especially projected sexual shame from my family, from my mum in particular, um, what it means to be a sexual woman and what it means to be overtly sexual or obviously sexual in the world. And yeah, that that projection, that conditioning, goes really really deep so every time i think that i am fully expressing my sexuality undoubtedly there's another layer and there's more to clear and more to work through as i continue to expand and grow so it's definitely a lifelong journey but yeah 20 years ago i was so far away from accepting it so resistant to accepting it so afraid of what it meant and Life just has a way of shoving you in that direction. If you're going to ignore it, you'd know this too, back. The more we resist, the louder the shouting gets, the heavier, the harder the pushing from the universe. And at some point, you've just got to fucking bite the bullet and jump into what's being asked of you, regardless of societal consequences, regardless of how isolating it might feel, how lonely it might feel. You've just you've got to do what your soul's here to do and I see now so freaking clearly that my soul is here to work in the sexual realms it's so obvious it's kind of laughable about the really that I ever... don't know
0: I don't know I think maybe you're here for something else babe I'm not sure
1: Just <laughs> growing daffodils and doing sweet innocent wholesome things and that's the thing I have this giant spectrum of who I am is that I love wholesomeness just as much and I love really simple like I don't know, crafting and making friendship bracelets as I do like having wild, dark, dirty sex. So I understand now that it's it's a big part of who I am. And while I understand that sexuality is part of everyone, I think that it's more at the forefront of my life and a bigger part of my essence than it is for a lot of people or a lot of women specifically. Um, but my realms of sexuality, my favorite realms of sexuality is BDSM and the dark, the taboo, the filthy, the forbidden. And that took me a long time to accept. I was the typical homophobe who actually was gay underneath. I had that level of resistance to BDSM because I was so kinky underneath. (laughs) So I've gone through a lot of um, deprogramming and acceptance and understanding of what these realms really mean from a very sacred and a spiritual perspective. And I see BDSM as the most powerful way for us to truly embody our shadow and to integrate as a human being and accept and love all parts of us and be witnessed in all parts of us. I think that there's, of course, with anything, there's really high conscious ways of expressing it and low conscious ways of expressing it. And I can see that in the world of BDSM, of course, when people have a look at it, there is a lot of negative associations with it. And that has its own truth and there's basis in that. But the way that I express it and the way that I experience it is very different. So I think part of my message part of my-
0: Can you define hmm. BDSM just in case people on this, like I know what it is, you know what it is, but maybe people don't understand what BDSM is who are listening to this and, and what that would entail or what that involves.
1: Yeah, so BDSM is like this big umbrella term that covers a lot of what would be considered dark or taboo or forbidden sexuality. So it includes bondage and discipline, Sadism and masochism, which is utilizing pain. It's got, it covers the realm of kink and of fetish. For me, my biggest association with it is dominance and submission and power exchange. And basically anything and everything can fall under the BDSM umbrella. And everyone has their own personal unique relationship with it. So someone might be a foot fetishist or a latex fetishist, and it's just about those two elements. And that's their entire relationship with BDSM. There's other people who say that they identify as a bratty submissive, and that is a huge part of their identity. And within that, they might play with pain and they might play with uh, ropes and bondage and like all of those. It's really very, very unique that we all form our own relationship with it. But essentially anything that has ever been labeled bad or wrong is BDSM. <laughs> it has been misrepresented largely. Yeah. But the element of taboo is a huge part of the turn on for many of us. We love going into the places that everyone told us we weren't allowed to go. The dark shadowy corners of the forest, which everyone wanders about. And when you get there, you realize that that's not what it is at all. So yeah, the taboo and the forbidden and the power exchange dynamics are probably my favorite aspects of it. For me, there's so much power to be found in accessing those parts of ourselves, the shadow that the world has told us not to be. And I find it's an amazing avenue for growth because you have to face parts of yourself that can be so confronting. But actually, when you can face them in an environment where it's consensual, where there's love, where there's presence, where there's desire, it's so fucking healing. So for me, it has been a pathway, a massive pathway for healing myself, but also for offering and delivering healing to others. I love that. I would love for you to, I know we've had conversations
0: about, you know, the kink community in Bali and the problems with that. And I know, I know, cause I've seen in my own kind of, maybe not in BDSM, but in my own practice of that line between pain and pleasure for transmutation and, and the spiritual mm. aspect of it. But can you talk to me in the kind of the audience about where is that line, where it's productive and it can be used for empowerment and safety and where is it unsafe, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who get into mm. this wanting that experience but they enter into situations where there's no consent or it's unsafe or Mm. there's people who have um there's distortions within that space which Mm. then create more um more shame or guilt or more trauma or damage Mm. or whatever that is and how do you create that safe space because you're an amazing trauma-informed healer in that space right and you have this understanding Mm. but how can people discern when they're entering that space when it is productive versus when it's more destructive for them to go to those spaces?
1: Oh my God, that's such a good question and such a difficult question to answer as well because it's such a fine line and it's so unique for each of us in every circumstance. So if we want to play with pain, for example, and we want to play with each other, let's say you and I were play partners and we want to go into a pain scene. One particular time, that could be the most healing and transformative experience that you and I have had. And in another circumstance, it's still you and I, and it's still dealing with pain, and it's going down the other avenue, and it's become destructive, and we're left feeling hurt or emotionally hurt or vulnerable or exposed in a a non-consensual kind of way. It's like, shit, what did we do differently? So there's no one way of clearly defining this is good, this isn't good. It kind of comes down to our intention behind it all, the levels of awareness and consciousness we bring to it. And I think a lot of people who are new to the world just have that natural naivety, And they can be prone to kind of predatory behaviors from other people who know that they're naive and aren't necessarily invested in really helping them educate themselves because it does, like with education comes stronger boundaries and an ability to consent and things like that. So if someone has less than ideal intentions behind it, then yeah, fresh meat is very, very, very appealing. So I definitely see that tendency out there. And like you said, the the community here in Bali in my opinion, has quite a lot of problems, partially because it's so underground, given that we're in a country where it's forbidden. Um, But that means that we lose out on layers of safety, which would be having a really public community and having accountability with others and having the police to turn to things like that. Without that layer of societal safety, then we're relying on individuals and like, Yeah, it comes down to how well you can read someone else's intention, how well you can read the purity of someone else's energy and someone else's heart. So, I think as an individual, uh, kind of like barometer, I think if someone, let's use self harming as an example. If someone has been self harming throughout their life, I actually have a lot of respect for what it takes for someone to have found a strategy that helps them navigate their own pain, whether that's emotional pain or whatever it might be. So, self-harming is a strategy for coping with pain and people can very quickly blanket that as a bad thing and you shouldn't do it but if it's someone's coping mechanism for the difficulty of life I understand where that's coming from maybe there's higher choices available better choices available but I understand it so if someone has this tendency to say my emotional pain is so intense that physical pain helps me manage it then to take that into BDSM I actually see as okay Even if someone wants to hurt themselves, who are we to say it's right or wrong or good or bad? We might not want it for ourselves. I know I don't like playing with pain generally because I, I love who I am now and I love my body and I don't want to destruct myself, but that's not to say that that's right for everyone. And it's really important that we don't look at other people's sexual expression and then internalize it and put it through our filter and go, oh, I wouldn't want that. I don't like that. That makes it bad. Actually, if that's truly what someone wants to do and they have someone that loves them and is willing to consent and go into that space with them and create that space where pain gives them something that they don't have without it, then go for it. So I think it's really important to know ourselves, know our own intentions, why we're, why we want those things. And unfortunately, a way of life is sometimes we have to learn what our own boundaries are by crossing those boundaries. Sometimes we have to have negative experiences for the contrast of then knowing the positive or knowing what's right for us. So I do my very best to educate everyone and empower everyone as they enter the scene to, and by the scene, I mean like enter the community aspects of the scene and and start to meet people or perhaps go to events and to really put safety at the forefront of everyone's mind and to recognize how vulnerable you are as someone fresh and innocent into this world. and then at the same time, we also have to trust everyone's unique path. And when I look at the things that I would deem as bad or the things I wouldn't do again, I also am very grateful that I've had those experiences because they taught me so much and they did give me a lot of my strength. I wouldn't want to go through it again. If I could prevent other people from having that, that would be awesome. But I trust as in sexuality and in spirituality, in every area of life, we're all having the experiences that we're meant to have to grow. So if if someone does come across something that's less than ideal, we can still take empowerment from it if we choose that. I love that. And I love seeing
0: your sexuality and just all experiences as an initiation into deeper levels of self, like knowing deeper levels of evolution and growth. I love that. Um, I had a question and then it it left my mind. So if, (laughs) if someone is curious about this stuff, like what can they get out of it? Like, What can playing in this space bring up for people or help them to Um, explore or what's the for you what's the thing that you love about BDSM that you're not going to get in traditional I don't know like tantra or like love making or I don't know what what others But like look at how clueless I am about like every other fucking avenue of sexuality except the one that I'm going down but you know what what is what what experiences have you had in that space that have just fucking blown your mind wide open and been like holy shit the potential in this is is incredible as a healing tool um I know you do shibari and I I, I've Mm -hmm. always been really interested in having that experience and I said to you once oh you're Mm -hmm. gonna tie me up and and I would love to have that experience because it's complete surrender so in that context I can see but maybe just share a couple stories or like you know even of your clients who've dabbled in this space the potential for healing in that space
1: yeah so shibari is a Japanese art form it's an ancient art form of rope bondage and that's a great place to start because it was one of the starting points for me, it's kind of that and spanking are kind of considered gateway kinks into the deeper world. (laughs) So Shibari gives you an experience of if you wish to be the one that's being tied, you get an experience of surrender you hand over the control to someone else who's choosing to tie you up and who's choosing to take away your faculties. And there's a lot to be gained from both of those positions. If it's not natural for you to be tying other people up, you won't enjoy it. You'll be like, this sucks. This feels like a lot of responsibility. I don't like it. What am I doing here? If you are naturally a dominant or a rigger, you'll be like, oh my God, I love this. This feels so good. And I want to do this. And I want to create this. And the same side for the other side of the slash, the submissive side, it's like, when you start to be tied up, it's just like, oh my God, what have I been missing out on? Like, it feels like it's touching a part of you. It's giving access to a part of you that has been so thirsty your whole life. You've just never known it. And when you have that first sip of water, you're just like, oh my God, I need that. Like for me, it was just such a a, a profound, powerful recognition that I am a submissive person because In my daily life, I'm assertive as fuck. I am dominant as hell. I take leadership roles left, right, and center. I don't like anyone else telling me what to do. I also had a lot of conditioning around it looking weak or being weak for a woman to be submissive, and therefore I must be strong. And I was really resistant to the weak part of myself, so to speak. And so when I found it, when I had access to it, I was like, Oh holy shit this feels so good. <laughs> Take all my power please. Take all this responsibility off me. And the first time I was ever tied I dropped right into that experience and I knew that this was an opportunity to surrender to God itself, to surrender to the God inside of me. Like yes, there's another human being that's creating this experience for me, but I'm surrendering to the God in him, not to him as an individual. He used to drink Coca-Cola for breakfast, if you remember. <laughs> that's not necessarily someone that shares the same values in life as me or that's someone that I look at as more successful or powerful or whatever. But in a rope perspective, he could create these experiences for me for me to feel that surrender. So I knew immediately that I needed to do that for others. And I remember one time he was tying me in a particular tie. We'd been teaching some classes and then afterwards he was tying me for my own needs to get met. and. It was a tie that they had used that would force submission from soldiers. So essentially the history of Shibari is that they would use it to capture prisoners of war. And depending on the the rank of the soldier, they would tie them in different ways to offer them respect for their ranking. So this particular tie that I was in was one that was uh, cross-legged with my elbows kind of pulled behind my back and my chest pulled down towards my knees. So you're really in this forced physical submissive pose And just like in yoga and, and when we're chanting mantras, those mantras have a collective consciousness that we've been chanting those mantras for thousands of years. Even if you don't understand what the mantra is, there's this feeling and you can click in. If you're sensitive enough, you can tap into the collective consciousness behind that. And that's what I felt from the ropes that day. I was like this rope right now in this position has a collective consciousness associated with it. It has a meaning. It has a history. It has a lot of people that have ever felt this. And I thought, so what is that? What is what is the rope communicating to me right now? What is this position offering me? And I thought, well, what is the war that you've been fighting, Erin? And I thought, well, my fucking unworthiness. I have felt unworthy my whole life and i worked so fucking hard to not feel it, to work hard to remember my worthiness. So I thought, all right, well, what if you were a prisoner? What if you lost? What if you gave up? And I let the physicality and the rope of that position take me to a true embodiment of that space of giving up the fight for worthiness. And my unworthiness flooded through my system. Like I just felt this huge wave of like the depth of my unworthiness that I fight against. And the whole time that I'm sitting there in that unworthiness, my partner was with me, stroking my skin really softly, fully present with me, kissing my skin really gently. And I thought, I'm still loved. The part of me that I thought was so unlovable that I had to work so hard to avoid because no one would choose me or no one, like, I didn't like myself and all of those things, I got to truly sit in the embodiment of unworthiness and feel love and realize that no one's going to leave me. And I'm not in some way disgusting or shameful or revolting to him in that moment. So when I realized that I've had another really profound experience with worthlessness as well, when I was playing in slave, like energy, master slave dynamics. And more than anything, it feels like the biggest fucking relief. I'm like this, this is what I've been working so hard to avoid. <laughs> right. This? Because this, suppressed this is suppressed feeling
0: of ourselves. Yeah. Yes. That we've, we have so much shame around when I read existential We're kink terrifying. and I started, yeah, I started diving into this. I realized I had this huge kink, Around being punished by God or being denied, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like a Mm -hmm. punishment, like being tied up, denied, whatever it was. And when I realized, how deep that was and how much pleasure I was deriving from that feeling of being mm-hmm. denied. I had a full body orgasm, like a full body energy orgasm at the thought of being punished and denied. And I was like, Whoa, some part of me really enjoys this. <laughs> and I've been like angry at myself yes. for creating this. Yes. It's like when we allow yes. these parts of ourselves to be expressed, there's this release that happens. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interject, but I was like, I felt that. And it's, no, fucking, that's it's so, so, so good. good. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then you're like, well, first your mind starts going, what the fuck do I get off on that? What the fuck is wrong with me? Am I fucking crazy? Am I fucking yeah. idiot? Is this my trauma? That's, I think, one of the biggest resistance that we have. It's like, whoa, we're trying to heal our trauma. Are we just engaging it? Are we just doing these fucked up things because we got fucked up as kids or we didn't get our needs met? My opinion, it doesn't fucking matter where it comes from. We actually cannot pinpoint where our eroticism comes from. It just is what it is. And if we can do that in healthy ways. So for you, if you have this, Part of you that actually craves a feeling of denial, then when you're unaware of it, it's creating life experiences so that you can feel that and you're sabotaging yourself and you're sitting there crying, wailing to God, like, why are you doing this to me, God? When instead we could say, tie me up, Aaron, let's go there, let me feel that intensity, let me feel the sensations of it, let me indulge in it right here, right now in a consensual, loving, present way. And then I don't need to create that in the rest of my life. So for me, the unworthiness, I'm like, oh, is this it? Is this a fucking thing that I have worked so hard to avoid? This is fine. <laughs> I don't care. So now I walk through the world with like, eh, you can't make me feel unworthy. A- and even if I did feel unworthy, what the fuck? That's
0: fine. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so alchemy. Me, it's- that to me is what alchemy yeah. is. It's like complete yep. taking that thing that has this this hold or this power over you and then using that to empower yourself. And
1: I fucking, yeah, sorry, interrupted exactly. you again. But- <laughs> No, go for it. Love it, love it, love it. So yeah, that's my relationship with BDSM. I think I definitely approach it in a very unique kind of way. There's a lot of tantric people who don't like the dark, who although tantra as a principle is the, the acceptance that everything is sacred, I find a lot of people that are stuck in the tantric mentality do not think that my sexuality is sacred. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. Yeah, that's their own shortcomings, in my opinion, and their own misunderstandings, which I understand. But for me, especially as a sexual coach, I think it's really important that all sexual expressions are shame free and not just we identify this pathway as sacred and everything else is unsacred. It's humanly, it's destructive. We don't do it. I'm like, yes, going to that sacred light pathway is healing, But ultimately, I want to come back and accept all the other pathways and then take these tantric principles of this subtlety, this energetics, the the love that's present in witnessing the part of you that wants to be denied. I bring a tantric approach to it, but I'm not. uh, Sometimes when I see tantric people go into BDSM practices, I'm like, they're like kids playing with kids toys. You know, it's like an act. It's like, okay, we'll go into this dominant and submission. It's submissive. Cause it's an act in many ways. I've had other people try and act dominant to me as well. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's not it. You, you either <laughs> got it or you bit- don't got it. <laughs> yes. If you play in the energetics of dominance and submission, it's so fucking powerful and it's undeniable. I remember when I was married, we had a dog that was half boxer, half staffy. So very, very big boisterous dog. And we got a dog trainer one day to come out and try and help us get this dog to be a bit more calm. Little, I didn't I knew nothing about BDSM back then, but this guy showed up at the house. He was ex-military. We opened the door and we said, hello. And the dog bounded forward and looked at him and he looked at the dog and the dog sat down. Like, it was just like from his energy, the dog was like, oh shit. Now, if I met that man, I'd be like, hello, sir. Hello, sir, who are you? <laughs> like, that's a real ass dominance right there. The fucking dog only needs to look at you. And the dog's like, oh, <laughs> So there's a there's a way of playing dominant because I could walk in the room and say, everybody sit down. And people are like, okay Aaron, whatever. Shut the fuck up. I'm busy. I'm working. And there's someone else that comes in the room and commands it energetically where you don't fucking you're like, whoa, what just happened? So for me, the real depth of BDSM can be found through those energetic, not just acting it, even though it can be fun to act and to play when people have really developed themselves down the bdsm pathway it's much more subtle it's much more refined it's much deeper um but having said that i'm the deepest person i know too so i'm definitely swimming (laughs) the deep ocean floor and a lot of people in bdsm are not i was gonna
0: ask as well like so i know that people like you and me go to the depths and probably a lot of people who listen mm. to this podcast are capable of going mm-hmm. to the darkness and going to mm-hmm. that de- and holding that destructive mm-hmm. energy. And I know we've had conversations mm-hmm. where you've been like, I don't think this person could hold me and all my destructive sexual energy. Mm-hmm. is literally yes. too much for them because they're this tantric all yeah. light and love. And they're yeah. like, I can't even hold that shit. Do you think that there's people where this is more natural for them, like to play in yes. these spaces and not have it destroy them? Yes. And is it something that we can open up to, like, do you think we can cultivate this
1: inner darkness and how, how would you do that? Yeah. So I would say that I call that dark energy, primal energy rather than destructive, because I can see where it can be destructive, but I can see where it's also very natural and healthy and a normal expression. So just like we have some people on the planet who are very musical and music comes to them really easily. And we have other people who are athletic and athleticism comes to them easily. And there's people who can, you know, there's all these different mm, unique frequencies of humanity I think dark sexuality is one of those unique frequencies like yes we can all pick up an instrument and play an instrument we can all go on the sports field and play soccer but there's going to be people who are naturally gifted at those things who need far less skill development in order to do something brilliantly so I feel like dark sexual energy is actually very comfortable and very natural for me whereas there's some other people who are like oh I'll go there Erin but like it's not really my thing and maybe they don't feel quite as satisfied there as what I would so I think part of it is first of all just recognizing that we're all very very unique sexual beings it's our sexuality is as unique as our personality there's no two people with the same sexuality on the planet so I think some of the indicators that we have this in us or this comes naturally to us is there's ways that it's been showing itself our entire life it pokes its little head up in different ways like I used to have a drug addiction. I'd say that's my comfort for being in dark spaces and pushing the edges and destructing myself through sex and through drugs back then at that age. So I think there's a lot of people who could try drugs and not become an addict and not want to spend a year of their life lost in those places. So that kind of person may feel the same about dark sexuality. It's like, I just am not, like if you think about it as an energetic realm, there's people whose frequencies are resonant and harmonious with it. And there's other people who naturally aren't. And they're just like, this is not a space that I exist in. And that's totally fine. So if you have had these impulses, or if you can have a look at like where sometimes the darkness has been tempting for you, even if you judge it, or even if you think that it's bad or wrong, if you have a very strong resistance to it being bad, I'd say it's also you. <laughs> and I, how do we cultivate it is a fucking fantastic question. And one of my favorite words at the moment is cultivation, because I really think it's, the act of cultivation even though I'm not a highly disciplined person the act of cultivation is actually really powerful and it does compound in interest so if we're dedicating ourselves to expressing a little bit every day and doing some personal practices every day we're going to get a way bigger result so if we can commit to the cultivation of it it's going to be a far better experience just like going to the gym you know like yeah sure we're all fit and healthy but if you go to the gym every day you're going to a year from now be in a much better place than where you are so i think cultivating sexual energy is something that we need to do on a nervous system level and on a body level Um, we need to do some of that psychological consciousness work as well to clear the layers of shame and conditioning and judgments and any past traumas that we have and that kind of stuff i would say is best done with someone in tandem with a therapist with a coach with a healer with a partner who's skilled at moving through the consciousness levels of dark sexuality. And I think a lot of people who identify as dominance, a dominant, when they take on a submissive, they know that that's part of the journey and they actually welcome it. It's a freaking psychological minefield as you work through your own judgment, shame, conditioning, traumas. And so people that are really committed to this path actually feel very willing to support others Because they've been there, they know how tricky and challenging it is. They want to help you understand it better. So being community involved with other beings that you respect and that you feel safe with is amazing. When I look back to the first couple of people who helped me take my first steps, where there were just so many fucking triggers, they were so patient with me, and they would sit and they'd talk and they'd share their own experience, and I'd be like, oh, okay. So then I'm going through the files of my own mind and reshuffling everything and, and putting new information in and helping it in a different way. So. That kind of stuff is relational and really powerful. And then in terms of the physical body cultivation, it's literally like going to the gym. We're opening up our orgasmic, spiritual, sexual channels. We're training our nervous system to hold more and more energy. Um, And like I said at the beginning with people who might be drawn to it as an expression of trauma, like if they're self-harming, for example, there's ways that we can utilize BDSM that reactivate trauma pathways and PTSD pathways that I wouldn't suggest are the most powerful ways to utilize it. We can use it for reprogramming some of that, but it takes a, a quite a subtle awareness to recognize, is this just reactivating my trauma? Is this overloading my nervous system and taking me to an intensity or a freeze state that I'm very comfortable with or familiar with? Or is this actually taking me to a transcendent place? Because you can kind of hit that point of, transcendence and feel like what they would call subspace like this very drug like experience of being subby but that could be because you've dissociated completely from the scene and you're not there at all because you're going into your old trauma pathway or it could be because you're genuinely integrating the experience and reaching a state of transcendence so um, being able to reflect afterwards after a scene and be able to look back and think okay when was I present and when was I transcendent? Or when did I check out? And did I go into an old pattern of dissociating or was I fully present? And having a partner that can see that and guide that with you and reflect that back to you in hindsight. And then the more and more we develop that awareness, we can recognize in the moment. And that's a big ask in the moment to be getting fucked the way that you desperately need it and you've been craving it and you're going to other places and to be able to still maintain some awareness and say, Am I fully present in my experience right now or am I checking out? Am I transcending to a higher state of consciousness or am I checking out? Am I asking for more because it's my tendency to, like I would say I'm emotionally masochistic. <laughs> if there's an opportunity to grow, I like throw myself head first like a fucking kamikaze. Same, it might not same. be the best <laughs> one for me. <laughs> Might be better to just like take it slowly or know that I'm enough as I am and that I don't always need to change. But no, I see growth and I'm like, fucking watch out. Like, uh, And I do that to the point that I hurt myself, that I do get overwhelmed and overloaded in my nervous system and then I shut down and then I need to recalibrate. So it's all a practice and it's a beautiful practice because it comes with pleasure, it comes with orgasms, it comes with connection and intimacy and trust and vulnerability. For me, there is no greater trust and vulnerability and intimacy I have felt with another human being than going into these dark realms. I kind of think Tantra is like holding hands and taking a skip through a beautiful garden of flowers. Like it's so nice and we're sharing it together and we're being fully present in this beautiful field of flowers. And BDSM is like, fuck, we're going into that dark forest at nighttime and we don't know what we're going to find. We don't know who we're going to see and we're going to hold each other really tight. We're going to get through it and we get to the other side and we're like, oh, my God, we did it. It's like we got closer together because of the unknown. We got closer together because we had to go to really, really vulnerable places inside of ourselves. So for me, the intimacy is actually really amplified in the darkness. Like I love that i can go to those places psychologically and emotionally and physically with another human being and so far anything i've experienced in tantra doesn't give doesn't take me to that absolute rich core of who we are
0: yeah it's interesting i i can agree and i can see where there's so much bullshit in the tantric space but i have had personally tantric experiences um where i have been <laughs> like not only purging for myself but the whole of humanity and it, it's been this deep shamanic like emotional experience which obviously brought me in the person closer but it was like transcendental and i know that that's the potential of where tantra can go and so many people don't access that potential and it's, it's a shame to see because they're so tied up in um just like this level of it but let's change the gears for a second Welcome to the Portal of Potential, the Sacral Chakra, the Seat of Sacred Sexuality. Within the Sacral Chakra lies the key to limitless creativity, pleasure, play and abundance. Introducing the Passion Portal. This short, multi-dimensional online retreat will allow you to heal, unblock and access the untapped potential within your sacral, reclaim your sacred sexuality and open the portal to a passionate, pleasurable and prosperous life head to the link in the show notes or check out my website for more information now let's get back to this episode as you were sharing all of this stuff i was like there'll be people on here who are super sexually repressed or are not even kind of aware that they have sexual trauma right or how to even deal with a trauma so maybe there's some people who have had trauma that they're aware of right and um and they don't even know how to become more sexually open and to open into these spaces because that's so far down the path and mm-hmm. I know that growing up you had a lot of trauma and even recently you've mm-hmm. you've these are initiations mm-hmm. that you've chosen to have um mm-hmm. and I fucking see you particularly in the most recent mm-hmm. experience and we don't have to talk about mm-hmm. that if you don't want to but I think Like, I see what you've been through to be able to hold this energy Mm. and go to these spaces. Um, But there will be people on here who, let's say that their experience with sexuality has been something that they haven't even wanted to kind of like open into or dive into because they're afraid of kind of what's there. And if you could speak into that, like, what what did you do to start to unpack this stuff and heal from this stuff? Um, And -hmm. how would someone even know if they were sexually repressed or had trauma? Um, stored Mm -hmm. that they were kind of avoiding i know they're kind of two different questions but anything in that general direction i think is really helpful
1: yeah there are a billion great questions in that um first of all thank you for acknowledging the trauma and i had a download this week where i realized that our trauma is a gift it the theme of our trauma is a sign from spirit that that's what we've chosen to come and work on in this lifetime our soul agreement Um, and mine is sexuality. <laughs> the amount of sexual traumas I've carried in my life are extreme. So to go through another, probably the most traumatizing adult experience that I've had through a sexual assault. Um, and I even at, straight after it happened, I was like, why did this happen? What's the meaning behind this? How do I get empowerment from this? Like, that's the framework that my mind exists at now. is like constantly looking for the gift and everything. It took me a while to come out of the dark night of the soul, but I'm on the other side now. Feeling I'm feeling great. and feeling way more empowered and, and yeah, feeling good about it all again. But I can't tell you how many times I tell people I work in sexuality and they go, oh no, I'm all good. (laughs) And this is also the nature of Erin being a very triggering mirror for a lot of people. My energy is very big, very intense and how people interpret that energy. If they've got fear in their space is through fear and rejection and deflection and people who have love in their space meet me and enjoy the intensity of my energy and what it brings up for them. So, so many people have said to me, no, I'm all good. My sex life is good. And I fucking absolutely know without a shred of doubt that they're limited. Like there's just no way that any of us have got through this fucking life on this fucking planet at this fucking time without sexual trauma. That's the thing. Our society is naturally traumatizing, especially to the feminine sexuality, a patriarchal society, male privilege, and the way that it has made women feel small and encouraged us to take up less space while encouraging men to take up more space and be loud and be big. Naturally, means that we will not be fully sexually expressed unless we've chosen to work on it unless we've chosen to say this is something I want to work on so let's take fitness for example someone could genetically be blessed with a body that doesn't gain fat and never have gone to the gym and they could say but I'm healthy look at me I'm skinny I don't need to go to the gym because I'm skinny It's like, well, if you don't actually train your body, other things are happening inside your system where you're not at your peak health by any means and you're certainly not experiencing the fullness of your potential. You're kind of riding along on the fact that something's coming easy for you. So I think sexuality can be like that. The, The picture that they've portrayed for us for what a woman's fully expressed sexuality looks like is so limited. So if women say, no, my sex life is good. I'm like, but you're believing the illusion. You're believing that one or two orgasms or just having sex in the way that you've been having sex for the last 15 years is good enough. You've got absolutely no idea what it truly can be mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's a lot of people, I, I just, it is a chip on my shoulder to say the least, how many people say to me, no, I don't need your work. <laughs> okay. And they're often that's the ones fine. that need
0: it the most. That's the irony, right? Yeah. Like, that's the the, they don't recognize it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there is some people who on a physical plane say, yeah, I don't need to go to the gym. It's okay, if that's what you want for your life, then that's absolutely okay. But I know, and I can see where potential exists. So when we are activating our sexual potential, like, yes, it's easy to get hung up on like how many orgasms we can have and how many parts of our body become orgasmic and having energy orgasms it's an indicator, but it's not actually what we're aiming for. It's, it's, it's one of those kind of double-edged swords because like, yeah, those are the results that can come from it, but it's actually something else. And it's about the energetic activation and the aliveness that we're carrying through our body. So it's opening up certain energetic pathways and nadis in the body. It's about having energy move through those. It's about grounding that energy as a dynamic presence in our body. I can fucking see that in someone who tells me that, their sex life is fine. And I look at their sexual energy. I've even watched porn with like amateur, I don't know if they call it amateur porn, but it's a particular channel that's like natural couples. They're no scripting, no acting. But, and I remember watching this couple once it was called like a slow Sunday morning fuck or something like that. And I was just like horrified because that couple (laughs) probably thinks that they're really sexually advanced. You know, they probably go out to brunch on a Sunday and think, all these people know that we're on Pornhub. Like, (laughs) we're so sexually advanced. We put our sex on Pornhub. And I was watching it and I'm like, mate, it is so limited. It's so limited. And I could see that the sexual energy was not moving through her body, that her entire body was not in turn on. I could see from the way that they were connecting and touching that they weren't actually very developed in terms of their sexual skill set. it drove me crazy. It drove me crazy because this is what people think is normal. This is what people would think is advanced. I'm sure that that couple feel really proud of their sexuality to the point that they're willing to go and apply to be a couple on this channel. It's called lustery. If anyone's interested to go and search for a slow Sunday morning, fuck and see what I'm talking about. If you look at the energetics of her body, you do not see sexual energy moving throughout her vessel. And that is probably what she considers a good fuck. I can't imagine having a bad fuck and putting it on Pornhub. <laughs> You'd like to think that it was one of their better That's a kink that we should start. <laughs> that has to be a kink that we start right now. Just like
0: terrible sex. Terrible, terrible. Did not enjoy that at all. It's a kink somewhere. It's already a thing.
1: I feel like I'm going to become rich doing this now. <laughs> so yeah, the body looks different when the sexual energy is moving through the channels like not only the physicality like you know someone's nipples might harden and some you know when you start to get the tingles and you start to get all juicy and wet like there's those physiological symptoms but there's energetic symptoms and you and I as healers we learn how to read that kind of energy and we're very aware of what's happening so to be sexually awakened is a very different state from hey I can have three orgasms with my boyfriend without trying like wow congratulations and i'm glad it comes easy for you because it's good because some women cannot don't have that come easily to them but it almost seems like it's stopping them from doing any further work as well because they think that that's good by most people's standards like i can make myself come in 30 seconds a lot of my clients say the same like orgasm just comes easily for me but that's almost a hindrance in some ways people that have a more challenging relationship with their sexuality they're not getting the pleasure and the reward as much they're the ones who are like what the fuck what do i have to learn what do i have to do what do i have to heal and the rewards for that are massive so it's interesting for the ones who has a relatively normal relationship with sexuality it just is a comfort zone but you know it's a tricky part of us to look at it's full of shame it's full of uh, societal consequences there's there's a lot of reward, but a lot of difficulty. And that's not for everyone. Some people just want an easy path. I doubt that anyone listening to this podcast identifies with that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. Maybe yeah.
1: The rest of humanity, they're there. So yeah, this all just comes back to the end of the day. It's like, what is the cultivation? And it's actually learning to move that energy and circulate that energy in a powerful way that then pays off to every other area of our life as well. So this feels like, I was like, was, let's talk
0: about trauma, but I actually, you know what? I feel, given what we've just spoken about, um, I think we went to the same mystery schools, right? Like that's how we know each other. Our souls were doing some shit with Isis <laughs> and Magdalene and there's this whole mystery school thread of the sex magic of Horus and the, poti- the potential for this energy, this cosmic energy, this sexual energy, this Kundalini, whatever it is, all different hats and labels for the same kind of thing can literally create magic like it's literally there to create magic and this is the scope of sexuality right this is the scope of sexual Mm -hmm. energy you can create using this energy right so talk to me about what that means to you when i talk about sex magic and i talk about cultivating this energy as a force of creation and being able to literally create magic with this force like sex magic
1: what does that mean
0: to you and, and what are your experiences
1: That's a really good question. And I wouldn't say I personally talk about sex magic a lot. I think that my approach and my delivery is often a little bit more scientific or a little bit more grounded in some science and medicine models of the world, even though I'm a massive fucking mystic and like it is all very mystical to me. The way that I teach and the way that I approach it is a way that would be quite consumable by a lot of people. And I think because of my own... Scientific conditioning from the family that I come from, I kind of get a kick out of going to what I call intellectual warfare with skeptical people because it's like, oh, I'll meet you in those realms and watch me still win this argument. Watch me convince you that actually these very mystical, magical experiences that we're having are very rational and grounded in science as well. And that it's not something that should just be discredited and discounted. But I definitely think that it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. What comes first? Do we have physical experience that releases all the hormones that gives us a God experience? Or do we have a God experience that releases all the hormones in the body that makes us feel this mystical experience? We actually we don't know. If you talk to science and medicine, they'll be like, Oh, if you release those hormones from the brain, then you're going to think that you've met God. And we're like, Well, we meet God. (laughs) It's very real for us. And then sure, you can show us that there's different hormones moving through our body. Like our brain's ability to produce DMT, the active ingredient in ayahuasca. It's actually in our brain. And I've had meditation experiences and pineal activations where I've had a full trip like that, full oneness experience. It was all in my own accord through my meditation practice. So basically, as I believe, as I've experienced there are many pathways to God. There are many different avenues that we can use to reach these mystical places and have these mystical experiences that have been spoken about since the beginning of fucking time in every single lineage. And sexuality is a pathway to get there. And I love it as a pathway. I actually did an Instagram post recently saying that spiritual energy and sexual energy are not the same thing. And a lot of spiritual people say, oh, it's one and the same. And, you know, like my sexuality is my spirituality. And I'm like, look, we can go sit in a cave and meditate for 100 hours and meet God, but that does not mean that we've activated our sexual potential. It's like a different path up the same mountain, but it will get us there. So for me, I love God experiences. I love cultivating my own personal energy in a way that allows me to reach states of consciousness that are so transcendent that we reach the unified field, the source of all creation itself. that that we tap into the Akashic Records, that we tap into past lives. Like that's available to us through meditation and through other things and through sexuality. So I'm going to choose the pathway up the mountain that comes with orgasms, that comes with intimacy, that comes with connection and love and all the things that I enjoy. So to me, it's like, why use sex just on the physical plane? Yes, we can all go and have a fuck. And for you and I, we cannot do that to ourselves anymore. It actually hurts us to only activate the physical connection with someone because we know what it's like to have a heart centered connection a mental connection a spiritual connection and then connect through the physical body and when you've got all of those connections in place oh my god the body is the vehicle for getting to god and it's amazing so to me sex magic is actually about activating our potential reaching those parts of ourselves that are already connected to all that is that's already connected to all of that we know and to be able to manifest our future reality, because we're in that state of connection with all that is we're making contact with the unified field, we're in contact with our higher self, that is guiding this thing that already has a set path for us and shows us what's available to us. So to me, that's what sex magic is, it's literally using sex as a vehicle to reach out and touch to connect with to remember the parts of ourselves that are already connected, that are already living in those fully expressed states that are abundant that are expansive that are healed that are fulfilled yeah sex is the vehicle to get there i love that
0: and do you think you i mean i know the answer to this from my own experiences but do you think that you can use this in your own kind of like personal play for people who are not comfortable to engage with relationships or maybe they're not for me at the moment not meeting people who are like able to meet me at that level um yeah How how would they reach that state? And then for you, did you to reconnect this, right? Because I feel like for so many of us, there's so many distortions with sexuality that once maybe we go on the spiritual path, there's shame and guilt where we repress the sexuality because it's not godly, Mm -hmm. right? So then we have to go through this Mm -hmm. whole reclamation of our sacred sexual energy to then meet God in that way and be like, Oh, I'm allowed Mm -hmm. to have fucking orgasms, and it's literally creation Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. me being in a flow state and being fucked by the divine, right? So for me, I had to Mm -hmm. go and have those experiences on my own before I was then able to have those kind of states with other people. Um, What was that experience like for you? And did you cultivate that internally first before you were able to have that experience with people? And what are some practices that people can do to open up to
1: that? That's a great question. You can definitely get there on your own. And there's definitely experiences that you can only have with another that you can't have alone. And there's experiences you can only have alone that you can't have with another. So there are two sides of the same coin that are both equally valuable. And we don't have to see it as a limitation. Whatever side of the coin we have access to at this point in time is going to give us benefits. And then when the situation flips, if we attract a partner or if we break up and we become single, it then gives us access to another realm that we didn't have before. So we can absolutely start to move this energy through ourselves. And a lot of this is through our spiritual connection and with our connection with God or what we identify to be God or the divine masculine. So we can fuck ourselves through the energetic connection with the divine masculine, and we can experience the divine masculine coming through another vessel. So if a man has done a lot of work on himself and is a clear channel to bring through the divine masculine energy, But you could also be fucking a man who has no access to the divine masculine and it's not going to get you there anyway and you could actually go further in that connection in your own self-pleasure practice. So I think... So let me summarise what your question was so that I can answer it succinctly. The question is, what are the personal practices people can do if they're not in relationship with someone that can go there with them right now? I would look at all pleasure as an act of sacredness and recognizing particularly your body, your genitals, your sexuality as sacred, and looking to find areas where you're uncomfortable with yourself, where you're uncomfortable with your body, where you're uncomfortable with your sexuality, and rather than shaming or denying or rejecting those parts of yourself, inviting them in. So I encourage some of my clients. I used to run um, a course called Worship, and that was kind of being coming into contact with the sacred whore archetype inside of us. And so I would actually encourage women to have a relationship with that archetype to meet that archetype outside of themselves first, and then start to embody it and integrate it. And as you start to embody different archetypes, and I know you do a lot of this work too, with different aspects of the feminine and different goddesses, like we all have that inside all of us. We can all access the thousands of different faces of the feminine that exist but will resonate more with some than others. And so as you start to make contact with the whore version of yourself like to me the word whore is like the highest compliment i could give myself. Like i absolutely love this part of myself. That's a word that has been used to degrade and debase women since the beginning of time because it is so powerful. And so if they can shame that and shut that down then they effectively take our power away from us. So the reclamation of the word whore is very powerful for me but Actually, there is a fantastic book called Pussy, A Reclamation by Mama Gina. And the the way that she teaches women to embrace pleasure and recognize that these bodies are actually here for pleasure is so powerful. That book was a really life-changing book for me when I read it and I recommend it for all of my students as well. So I think finding ways to enjoy your body in a sacred way to enjoy the pleasure that you can create on your own and recognizing that this is a direct a direct consequence of this is power, is personal power. Like we're doing this, realize the reason why we're doing it, have a strong intention behind it, and that will motivate you to do the work and to welcome these shadowy bits and the shameful bits and You know, I see a lot of women that have a real rejection with their body, with a real discomfort with their own genitals and the way that we've been shamed. Like almost every woman can tell you an experience where they've been with a lover who has verbalized some sort of body shame and told them that, like, I actually just got a voice memo from a friend today who was dating someone who said, you don't really have the type, you don't have the body for active wear. What the fuck does that even mean? you don't have the body for active wear. I'm sorry, if you're active, you've got a body for active wear. So that kind of body shaming still exists. Even in our 30s, we're still coming across other people who think it's okay to project that kind of judgment onto others. So we really have to have a look at where we've internalized that and where are we not comfortable with our own bodies? Where are we not in love with ourselves as a sacred vessel, as a version of the feminine? And so then our self-love and self-pleasure practices can really be learning to love ourselves the way that we want a lover to love us honoring our bodies the way we would imagine our most ideal lover would worship our bodies we we start to give that to ourselves and a lot of mirror work is very powerful as well to be able to look in the mirror and look yourself in the eyes and look yourself in the face and look at your naked body in front of the mirror and learn to love it learn to accept it and embrace it and be with all of it and not hide it and not shame it and not think that you need to change like I would say 99% of women, if not 100% of women on this planet, think that they need to change their body. There's just some sense that we're not enough as we are and that there's always some imaginary ideal that we're working towards that when we reach that, then we'll be different. I can tell you that the size of my body (laughs) does not dictate my sexual potency in any way. Whether I've got 10 kilos up or 10 kilos down, I can fuck the shit out of anyone. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> Beautiful. And it's true my it sexual is true. power, my heart, my spirit, it is not defined by the size and shape of my body at all. Yeah, my body can such be a, a reflection of the self-love that I have for myself. And if I've made good choices about my body. But mm-hmm. also, some people with the most idealized body have very poor self-love practices. And it's a reflection of the fact that they actually hate themselves and they starve themselves that way, or they punish themselves at the gym. So our true womanly essence our true sacred essence is not defined by the size or shape of our body i think that's such an important message and i just want
0: to share on here like i haven't actually shared too much about this on this podcast like i've battled severe body dysmorphia to the fact like to the fact to the extent where i would literally look in the mirror and start crying and i wouldn't be able to go out like that was it my plans were cancelled because i hated how I looked so much. And this is something that even to last year, I was still really grappling with um, this deep hatred of my body. And I think it's something that so many of us have programmed into us to hate our body, to hate our vessel, which cuts us off from, Experiencing pleasure in our body and loving our body and being in our body, right? Because we want to check yeah. out, not be in our body or abuse our body or whatever it is. So I think this is really important for people to understand. Like we all go through this to varying degrees. And you might see, and it's so funny, and, and Bali really challenged my self worth a lot when I got there because everyone's fucking perfect, like perfect Instagram model bodies, like perfect by societal standards of what mm-hmm. they're telling us is perfect, right? And it, the minute I got there, my all my self-worth stuff started coming out because I'm met everywhere by these supposedly perfect people and perfect bodies and blah, 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 blah. And it made me have to sit with like, what is perfect to me truly and is a body that functions and is healthy and, um, you know, like does what it needs to do. And, and I'm a healthy woman with curves. Like I, my body's healthy, right? so it reframed all of that for me. And I had to go on this big journey and and body love and self-love has been so pinnacle to my journey of reclaiming my sexuality of like, you're beautiful. I love you. I want you to feel pleasure. Like, thank you for operating, for breathing, for being able to walk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I used to abuse my body at the gym six days a week and limit my eating and all of this stuff. And such a large part of my journey was stopping doing that and intuitively eating and intuitively working out and not going to the gym if I don't feel like it or doing walking or yoga, whatever it is. So that is such a, a key part to all of this. Um, I feel like we've kind of reached a natural conclusion with what we've been talking about. That piece really like ties it together. So it's like for someone who's struggling with their sexuality, they look at the relationship with your body, right? And so that's the love Mm -hmm. of yourself and and want to inhabit your body. Um, If people Mm -hmm. want to dive deep into this stuff with you, Erin, or find you to speak to speak to you or to see the content that Mm -hmm. you're putting out, how can they find you? And and what are your offerings at the moment? Because I know that you're doing a lot of work at the moment with couples to talk to Mm -hmm. us about that.
1: Yeah. So the best ways to find me, Instagram is my favorite platform to share where I'm at, my messages, my journey, and my Instagram is Erin Kiner. So essentially I am the only Erin Kiner on the planet. So if you search Erin Kiner, you will find my podcast videos on YouTube. You'll find my podcast, Romantic Hardcore. You'll find my Instagram, my Facebook, but Instagram is definitely my the place where I love to share my message the most, that and my podcast um and so i work with people one to one through erotic awakening coaching and through wild hearts relationship coaching i work with couples i also help people develop their sexual skill set as well which is something that i'm is like growing in the background a sex school so to speak <laughs> so i do that in person in bali i do that online as well and support couples to learn new skills and essentially how to fuck better how to go to that next level cuz like we get a trainer at the gym you could be squatting at the gym your entire life and never have had a trainer, and you can squat okay. But then, if you engage with a trainer and just do one session, you can learn so much about your technique and skill that can take you to the next level just through simple alignments and different movement patterns. And sexuality is exactly the same. There can be the most subtle little. Tit, 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 tit to change the energetics of everything to move energy through the body in entirely different ways. So I love to help couples with that as well. And especially stepping into kinks and learning skills around kinks and dominance and submission, having a teacher, having someone that can like mentor and develop that for you as well. So. That's my offerings at the moment. I've got an Egyptian retreat coming up at the end of the year. I don't know if you and I have talked about that much, but that is something that is growing. So yeah, at the end of the year, I'll be going to Egypt and inviting people to come to Egypt for an Egypt awakening. And I also have some rough plans for a retreat, just a generalized healing Bali femininity retreat, probably in the second half of 2023. Amazing. I feel really cool. I don't usually do. Th-
0: I don't usually do this. My first time. Um, I feel called cool to ask you if there's any like parting message or wisdom that you have to share mm. before we close this space. Because I don't <laughs> feel like there's a message that you have to share for someone out there.
1: Mm. When I look at all of the different ways in which I work, how vast and broad it can be, and how unique and personalized it is to every person, one of the most common outcomes that I would see with nearly every single client is that they learn to never settle. They learn to raise their standards and want more and accept more and know that they can have more and to stop settling for less. I feel like if we're deep, rich, spiritual women and we feel unmet in many, many ways in life that we have a tendency to just accept the status quo and we do ourselves an injustice in doing so. So my final message would be please never settle, ask for more, want more, have more, create more.
0: Fucking love that. What a great party message.
1: I second that. I second everything that she said.
0: Thank you, Angel, for coming on. I can't Thank wait to see you soon. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, Thank you guys for listening.
0: Soon. I will. Thank you guys for listening and until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cracked Open. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share with a friend if this episode has served you in any way. For more information about the work that I do or to get in touch with me, read the show notes or head to beckmyelonis.com. Until next time, beautiful soul.